Well, it has been a treat. It has been a treat to have uh, Bill and Carlene here uh, this week. We've loved it. Loved having you guys. Looking forward. I'll grab that for you, okay? Bless you as you share. I think sometimes as North Americans, we rush. And I just, I just feel like we just need to wait a second. I actually think that we need to just listen for a minute. Because I think God actually wants to say something to you. So I'm just going to try to be obedient to that. I actually think God is speaking to someone in this place and you have actually something to say. And maybe you've never done this before. You've never exercised the spiritual muscle, but God actually wants to speak to us through you. And I just don't want to miss it. And so maybe your heart's pounding. You, you know exactly I'm talking about you. You know it. <laughs> and you're fighting it, everything inside is going, no, I don't want to do this, but we're going to learn today you're just one act of courage away from supernatural change. And so I just think this is, this is the moment. So what is God saying to us through you? We need to hear it. It's kind of weird. I didn't expect to do this. <laughs> I've been learning something recently this week, something I find very important, and I'm definitely getting that feeling where God is like, hey, you're going to do this now. Um, <laughs> I have been struggling for years, and it's only been a short Christian life of five years so far. Um, trying to get past my flesh, trying to get past myself, trying to get past the old me. Things that, like everyone says, like, you know, God is going to make you new, and and those things are going to pass away, and I've been trying for that to happen. I've been trying and trying, and all the every time I always end up falling flat, and it doesn't work out the way I want it to. And then... On Sunday, while I was at recovery church with my team, I realized something through the testimony of this other guy that, I'm shaking right now, (laughs) that, well, first off, 1 Timothy 6.12, I believe this is the right one, Um, I might get them mixed up, Um, to fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. It's not to be timid. It's not to be tame. It's not to say, okay, the, well, these things are well and good, and these things are, are okay, but, but I'm just going to stay a Luke 
lukewarm Christian and I understand and, and believe and want to surrender to God and I want to, I want to give everything to him, but I'm just going to keep acting like it's not a fight. And 2 Timothy 1.7 says that we have not been given a spirit of fear or timidness. And that's something that stood out to me recently. A spirit of fear and timidness. But we have been given a spirit of power, of love and self-control. And so we're not called to be timid. And I see you have that picture of a fire. We're not called to be timid. We are called to fight, to fight every moment, to fight the good fight. We are called to give it everything we've got because every moment, and I believe this to be true in my own life, every moment is a matter of choosing life or death. And we need to treat it like that. And I know that that is something that some of you, maybe a lot of you, maybe all of you struggle with. Because that's just the reality of fighting between the flesh and the spirit. But I think what God wants to say through me right now is that no matter what, no matter how hard it might seem, no matter the addictions, the temptations, the negativity, the the feelings of I can't do this, the feelings of I'll never be good enough, any of that stuff, you need to realize that Not only are you leaning on God's strength, and not only is he fighting for you, but you need to pick up your sword, and you need to to pray, and you need to fight alongside him. Because if God's fighting for you, and you're doing nothing about it, nothing's going to change. We have not been given a spirit of fear or timidness, but of power, of love, of self-control. And we need to fight the good fight. Your one act of courage. One act of courage can bring supernatural change. Thank you. We've been learning uh, this week, these last few times together, that Jesus, when asked, what is the greatest commandment? What is the one thing? If I want my life to matter, and I'm going to honestly believe that you are here tonight, you are here, whether you came with as a guest, or whether you're a student, or whether you've given your life as a faculty member or staff member, that you are actually here because you want your life to matter. And so it's a really good question. What do I have to do for my life to matter? And it's a really good idea to ask the one who gave life. Because he probably knows. And so an expert of the law said to Jesus, What must I do to have life? What must I do to, to have a life that matters? A life that is significant? The thing that we're all searching for, longing for, looking for. And Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength and mind. But tonight, 
with all your soul. With all your soul. This word is really kind of an interesting word because it's hard to find a really accurate translation in English. Uh, the word soul is basoke. I, did I say that right off? I tried. Did I, you helped me. He was coaching me. Well, I went to Greek last yesterday, and I was working through that. Um, but but here's, here's what it means. It, it can mean an act of force or life, but it, it's, it's deeper than that. It's the deepest part of who you are. It's what motivates you. It's what drives you. It's what keeps you up at night. It's why you get out of bed in the morning. It's that the part of you that drives you to something else. It's your why. And I have learned that one of the most important questions that you can answer in your life is why. Why am I here? Why do I exist? Why do I do what I do? And so Jesus is inviting us to love him with our soul. The very deepest part of us, to be motivated by what motivates him. And that's an amazing gift. Um, My wife, I picked on everyone else in my family so far, so I just haven't talked about her yet. Um, And so my wife, Carlene, is here. Carl, can you just wave at everybody? Stand up. See this beautiful woman? Uh, Yeah, stand up. There. Yeah, there she is. Uh, I met her here. So this is a great place to meet somebody. You know, I don't care if they call it bridal college. I'm happy I came here, and I'm happy I met her, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with finding someone who's going in the same direction of your life. And, hey, they're kind of cute. So, hey, why not? Let's, uh, let's get together. So I can remember how I met her. It was the very first day of school, and you're moving in. Remember that, remember that kind of awkward first day? And you're a little nervous. You don't really know anybody. And so this guy, Dale, was walking down our, our dorm hallway, and he was, he was saying, hey, I got a couple of girls who need help moving in. Anyone want to help? He had me at girls. And so I, I just said, sure, Yeah. Yeah, sure, okay. So, so I remember we drove down the bottom of the hill, and, and there was Carlene and her roommate at the time, Tracy, and they needed help moving in, and I, I was more than happy to help. I was just more, and when I saw her, I was even more than happy to help. Anything you need, I will just do it. And, and so, I mean, I, I, and I know it's going to sound really cheesy, but, man, I knew something was special about her the second I saw her. I'm sorry it's cheesy, but it's true. And, and so it was kind of funny. Um, there's a long story that I won't tell you about my roommate because he liked her too. And, and that, um, we weren't roommates second semester. So anyway, it doesn't matter. That's, that's a long story. We don't need to go into details. But, um, but, but I can remember that, that it was here that, that again, I just, I just fell in love with her. And, and I can remember, it's, it's kind of a funny story. The very first time I asked her to go out with me, uh, she said no. And um, yeah. That wasn't fun. And so, uh, but, but I was so persistent. There was a deep drive inside of me that I really wanted to be with her. And so I, so I asked her again and, and paid her some money. No, I, I didn't. I didn't do that. Um, I did not do that. Uh, I, just, I just asked her again. And I mean, I went all out. I wrote a song. I couldn't play the guitar. I didn't care. I learned three chords. Um, and, and I wrote a song. And I am terrible at that. And I made a, I made a jewelry box. And I was just like, I was, there's no way you are ever going to say no to me again. I was, that was just my drive. And, and so she said yes. And then after three years, we were married. And it's been awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And I was kind of thinking about this, this parallel that, All I wanted uh, was to be with her. 
And all I wanted was to share this life with her. And so when I asked her to marry me, it was, it was because I wanted our lives to now go in the same direction. To share the joys and the burdens and there have been sorrows and there have been difficult times, but those have made us better. I wanted her to love me heart and soul. And I think when Jesus says, I want you to love God with your soul, it's actually an invitation. It's an invitation to participate with him in the greatest call in life to bring love and order into a world of hate and chaos. In a world that is broken and dysfunctional, in a world filled with pain and injustice, in a world that doesn't make sense. That we could learn that there's a God who still loves us. And we can turn in turn partner with him and love him with our whole soul. And so I love what you said because it's true. It's an act of courage. It's an act of commitment. And so today I want to read a story um, that challenges me deeply. It's actually a catalytic story in my life that, that transformed the way I think about pastoring and about leading and about friendship. It transformed the way I see those who love Jesus and those who do not. It transformed everything because it spoke to the very deepest part of who we are and why we do what we do. And it has to be only because we're motivated by the things that motivate God. And so in this story, um, we're going to read in Acts chapter 10. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 10. And we're going to read about Peter again, our good friend. And um, we're going to read about another challenge in his life. And so just to set the context, if, of course, I, I hope you know the book of Acts. Uh, you are at Pentecostal Bible College, so you should know that by now. And so here's what happens. Jesus walked this earth, and he came into this world to remind this world of what we had forgotten, that it was about relationship. It was about love. Love wins. It's the only driving force that should motivate you at the deepest part of your soul. And it's worth fighting for. Love is worth fighting for. I had this epiphany just the other day, and this is just kind of an aside. It was, I was preparing for my message last Sunday at my church, and I, it was about three o'clock in the morning, and I, and I wake up sometimes really early. <laughs> um, and so I woke up, and, and I was trying to find the phone, and I knocked my phone off the case, and I was, sorry, not off the case, off the counter, and I was worried about, did it crack, and all of this kind of thing, and, and I had this thought. Um, a lot of us take better care of our phones than we do our souls. First thing you do when you buy a phone is you buy a protective case, right? You buy a protective case so it doesn't crack, it doesn't break, and, 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 and the Bible reminds us to guard our heart above all else. And then we plug it in every day. We, we want to make sure that it's charged up. We want to make sure that, that we have enough power so it can function the way it's supposed to function. And I got thinking about this. When was the last time you took care of your soul? When was the last time you really, really understood why you're doing what you're doing? And so this is going to be the challenge for Peter. And so, so in Acts chapter 1, of course, Jesus gives the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls upon those those believers in the upper room, and the church explodes. Peter, 
okay, is about to be transformed by the, the power of God, the Spirit of God working in him, the active force and life of God flowing through him. And he's going to preach a sermon, and 3,000 people are going to get saved. It's amazing. But it doesn't take long before the church forgets why it exists. It's not long before Peter forgets why the Holy Spirit works in us. You see, the Holy Spirit works in us not so we can have an experience. And the Holy Spirit does not work in us so that we can have a badge of honor, so that we can separate ourselves as being better. The Holy Spirit works in us so that the deepest part of us, our soul, can be motivated by His love to love this world. That's the whole point of Pentecost. There's no better sign than to be able to speak the languages of the world because the good news is going to be spoken to every corner of the earth. But Peter forgets. And the church forgets. They forget that it's supposed to be to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so they're still stuck in Jerusalem. And then, of course, Acts 8 hits, and there's a great persecution. Stephen is stoned and, um, to death, and um, the church scatters, and so does Peter. And, and he forgets. And so here's where we find it in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, and that's important because it was a, a city named after Caesar. If you know Caesar... Um, Jesus wasn't the only one called the Son of God. Caesar was called the Son of God. He self-proclaimed that. It was on coins and lineage. He believed he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Caesar had set up a kingdom on earth in his own image. And so at Caesarea, which was in his honor, there was a man named Cornelius. And I think Luke really wants to drive something deep inside of you, that this man is not who you would expect God to speak to. Okay, He is uh, as far from God in our understanding, in the Jewish understanding, in the early Christian understanding as we would. And so it says there was a man by the name of Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. Now, again, no words are wasted in the Bible. And if you don't understand something, you need to dig until you do. Why does he say that he was a part of this Italian regiment? Why is that important? And I'll tell you why. Because this was an elite fighting force. It was like the U.S. Marines of the Roman Empire. They were the best of the best. But in order to become one of these in the Italian uh, regiment, you needed to play, uh, pledge loyalty to Caesar. You had to give worship to Caesar. You had to declare Caesar was God. That's how you got in. So, so it, you know... Probably not a candidate, but we would call a follower of Christ or of God. And yet this is who we're talking about. And then in the next verse, we read what seems like a contradiction because it says he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. What, what does that mean? He gives his worship to God. He's from a foreign empire that's oppressing Israel. What in the world is Luke trying to communicate to us? I think he's trying to tell us that there are people who are open to God even when you don't think they are. And even when they don't fit your box. And then when, even when they don't fit what you think is good enough and they don't meet your standard, God is doing something inside of them. So don't you tell God who he can touch and who he can talk to and who is in and who is out. That is God's responsibility. So... He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Which God? <laughs> I don't know. Luke doesn't tell us that. He was just devout. And so one day about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. 
he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. Again, this is kind of a common theme throughout the Bible. If you've ever encountered an angel, it's okay to be afraid, I guess. That's, that's just, they just always do that. And he says, what is it, Lord? He asked, and the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon. <laughs> Again, like, I just love it. I think Luke's taking a little shot here. I, I just, I, I know maybe I shouldn't. I, I know maybe I don't, the Bible isn't supposed to be funny. I think that's kind of funny. He's like, yeah, Simon, remember the, the schmuck before? Oh yeah, by the way, he's also called Peter. Like, I just think that's funny. Because Simon had gone back to the old way of thinking. And then I got thinking about this, like, okay, so, so here's this guy, Cornelius, who doesn't fit the box of what we would think is a follower of God, and, and yet God decides to speak to him, okay, fine with that, and he goes to all the trouble to send an angel, so why doesn't an angel just tell him the good news? Like, wouldn't that just be easier? Like, the angel's there, the moment is set, I mean, Cornelius will believe anything he says, so why doesn't the angel say, and I'll tell you why. Because God has entrusted us with the good news. If you don't go, no one will. Bottom line. You say, well, God, you made a mistake on that one. Well, that's for God to decide. God has entrusted you and I, and the reason he wants to empower us with his spirit is so that deep down in our soul, we'll be motivated by an unquenchable love for what he loves, and that's the lost. I I just have a couple of questions. When was the last time you actually wept for someone who was lost? Let me ask you another question. When was the last time you had a legitimate friendship with somebody who was like a Cornelius, who was searching, looking, maybe in all the wrong places, but they were hungry, they knew something was missing, trying desperately to appease that emptiness with all this other stuff. And then you'd think, okay, great. It's going to go great from here, but it doesn't. It actually gets a bit messy. Because in Acts chapter 10, verse 9, it says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on a roof to pray. Okay, prayer's a catalyst to change, and Peter is doing the right thing. And, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven opened up, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. Again, I just think this is an image of the world, the four corners, but... It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then the voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. This is bizarre. This is scandalous. This is mind-bending because God is asking Peter to break his law. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Like, okay, Peter, from the time he's a little kid, has always been told, You honor God by not eating these things. And now God's saying, eat these things. (laughs) It's bizarre. And so he responds like I think he should. 
Surely not, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or clean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Hello, three. Peter loves three because he's thick. He doesn't get it one time or two times. It always takes three. If I was in the story, it'd be five. But it's three with him. And immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision... The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. And Peter invited them into the house to be his guests. Now, you don't think that's a big deal. It's a big deal. They're unclean. And if they touch something in his house, he's going to have to go through a rigorous ceremony. And his neighbors are probably watching. And if he lets unclean people in, they're going to start asking questions. What are you doing? Why were you there? Why are you talking to them? Why are you doing that? Listen, let me tell you something. When you actually start motivated by love, the people who are supposed to be motivated by love will question everything you do. Because it will expose their own motivation, their own soul. And so I thought, think, I think about why would God do this? Why would God ask Peter to go his own commands. And I come to the realization that this isn't about food. It's about people. It's about people. It's always been about people. If, if God has to send a giant so that a little boy will deliver his people, God will send a giant. If God has to send a prophet into exile and have him thrown into a den of lions so that the people of God will hear his voice again, he will do whatever it takes for people to know his amazing love if he needs to send his son into this world to be misunderstood and mistreated and put on a cross. He will do whatever it takes to reach the lost. And until you understand that, Until you understand that, you can never truly love God with all your soul. I got thinking about our morality and our definitions of holiness and the standards that we have established and how we have determined who can fit into our box and who cannot and how we've created barriers saying, unless you jump through these hopes, unless you become like this, you can't be one of us. How we've said to people, you have to believe before you belong. And I just think that that's completely absurd and backwards. Because they can't believe until they belong. Because that's how love works. I got thinking about this meter stick, or if you're an American yardstick, um, this meter stick. I grew up in Thailand. And, uh, I grew up in a British prep school. And so for me, when I look at this, there are two applications with very, two very different responses. Um, the very first one was that on our house, uh, on our, one of our door frames, we, we had a meter stick. And, and I wanted to be like my dad so bad. And I was always really short. I, I was always short, the shortest kid in my class, all the way till grade 12. And, but every day I would measure myself up against the yardstick. I wanted to go because I wanted to say, am I closer to being tall like dad? Am I closer to being tall like dad? Am I more like him? I, that was my motivation. I was driven by everything inside of me to be like my dad. And so when my mom would say, hey, come measure yourself, I'd be like, yeah. Uh, you know, and I'd measure and stretch my toes, you know, because I wanted, this was a good thing in that context. But I also went to a British prep school. And I had this applied in a completely different way. When I did something wrong, this found its way to my backside. 
That happened more than once. And so when I saw this in my teacher's hand, I wanted to have nothing to do with it. I got thinking about our rules. I got thinking about the things that we call holy, sacred. Who gets to be in our church? Who gets to be our friend? Who gets to be on the worship team? Not you. You're not good enough. Or, hey, let's all try to be more like Jesus because he's awesome and he loves you. See, I think Peter, his soul had been corrupted by what other people would think, and he got corrupted by his rules and, and, and the law that had restricted him. It had become shackles, and this is the problem with religion. Religion shackles you. It binds you. It, it motivates you by fear, fear of not going to hell, fear of somehow pleasing a God who actually is a tyrant, who's just waiting to beat you over the head, and we would never say it because it sounds crass out loud, but we believe it. And we yield God's law as a rod of punishment instead of a standard to grow by. Can I ask you just a question? Another one. When was the last time you obediently put yourself in a position that God, if, if God didn't show up, you'd fail. When was the last time you loved somebody so much that you didn't care what people thought? You didn't care about your reputation. You didn't care if you had to go to that place and if you had to, to work through some of that mess. When was the last time you loved so much that you would do anything? You would turn over heaven and hell for them to experience God's love and your motivation wasn't so that they get saved. As noble as that is, but they are not a spiritual notch in your belt, but rather you love them just because you love them. Just because you love them. Not to get them to your Easter experience. Not to get them cleaned up, but just because you loved them. And this is the message that Peter is being challenged with. Because one act of courage, and I've learned in ministry, often that courage will bring you the ire of the religious what do you think Jesus did? He spent his whole life raising the ire of the religious because they want to continually use God's law and rule as a disciplinary tool instead of a standard that draws people to him. And I'm just convinced that our task is not to impose our moral conviction on the world. I'm sorry if you think that. That's okay. We can respectfully disagree. I think our task is to be so in love with Jesus that people see something in us that they want and they're drawn to him. And so what was the result? In Acts 10.44 it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, 
the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. So Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and <laughs> he breaks every law. I mean, he breaks every rule. He knows if he goes into this house, they're going to offer him something he's not supposed to eat and something he's probably not supposed to drink. Uh, he knows that he's going to go into a place that, that's going to make him ceremonially unclean. He knows the huge risk, his reputation. He is supposed to be the leader of the church. And so the law says you can't, but love said you can The law said don't, and love said go, and I have just learned that this has got to be the driving motivation. I am convinced that people are not coming to Christ, not because um, they don't want him, but because we've presented a version of him that is not accurate. I don't want to serve a tyrant either. And so Peter goes and it says, when he was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message and the circumcised believers. <laughs> Imagine trying to convince a whole bunch of guys, you got to get circumcised. That's a whole other story. Uh, the circumcised believers who came with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had poured out on even the Gentiles. This is all wrong. This is not the way it's supposed to be. But God is not limited by your mindsets. And he's not limited by your expectations. God is going to love. And to have love God with your soul is to love him in action. So do you really want revival? This is, man, if I had a dollar for every time somebody told me what it would take to have revival, I would be wealthy. If you just did this more, if you just didn't do that, if you just yelled at people more about sin, if you just, uh, we gave more, I don't know, I have heard every version of what it's going to take for revival to happen. As if revival is an event. Revival is not an event. You don't have a time and date on revival. Revival is something that happens in your heart. It's a transformation. It's becoming more like Jesus. That's revival. And revival, by the way, is happening every day all around the world. The only question is whether you're a part of it or not. So, you want revival? Go love people. Like, you want revival? Literally have conversations with people who are so far from God, they don't even know who Jesus is. So start loving what God loves. It's funny, I, I used to think evangelism, and I apologize if this ruffles any feathers. Actually, no, I don't, because yeah, I keep saying that. It's not really true, so that would just be lying. I used to think evangelism was having all the right answers to all the, the right questions. And, and then what you do is you, you debate somebody and you convince them with your superior intellect what an idiot they are and how amazing you are with your truth. And then they go, wow, you're right. And they follow Jesus. No, exactly. But we still think it does. We still think it does. Or we think if we get them to our church and we have a really cool experience, maybe that, no, listen, here's what I've learned. When I love people, just love them, those things come up naturally. I have more, I have more opportunities to share Jesus in my daily life simply by being present. By being present. 
I have the most amazing conversations, not because I'm trying to argue or debate, but because I love people. And when they ask me questions, I just answer them. We were at a, at a tournament one day, and I, I coached volleyball, and Garrett and I were walking down the street, and we looked in a church. That was all we did, because we just are fascinated. We like churches. And so this mom said, why are you so fascinated with churches? And I began to tell her, well, because I just, I love, I love the architecture, and I love beauty, and, and, and actually I'm a follower of Christ. And she said, I know that, and so I actually want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. Can you, can you tell me why you follow Jesus? I said, well, sure. So for half an hour, I told her. She's like, that's amazing. So, that, so, so we were waiting in line to go into this restaurant, and we sat down. And she said, hey, Bill, you just got to tell everybody at this table what you were telling me out there because that's awesome. And I said, okay. So we just had a conversation. Then all the parents said, have you ever told our, our boys this? And I'm like, well, no, no. See, you have to. You have to. So we had a part of our volleyball practice, and I just talked. Why? Because I just love people. I'm not, I'm not elevating myself. It's actually not that hard. You just love people. And then you listen to the voice of the Spirit, and you do what He tells you to do. I got thinking about this. If... Peter doesn't do this, we don't maybe have the Gentile church. Now, now I'm not saying God wouldn't do it another way. I'm I'm not saying that because God is God and he can do whatever he wants. But this is the way God chose to do it. If Peter doesn't break all the rules, if he doesn't go with his soul in partnership with God to love people, no matter how messy and misunderstood he's going to be, you may not be sitting here today. I don't know if you thought about that. I'm going to share, share a picture. And this, this is my why, okay? And so, uh, can you show that picture of the, the child in Sudan? You've probably maybe heard this. And, um, but this picture here uh, was taken during the, the, the famine, one of the many in Sudan. And the guy who took this picture, this picture actually won a Pulitzer Prize, which is the, the highest award for photojournalism. And so the guy who took this picture recorded the surrounding story. And so what you can't see in this picture is that uh, to the right of this child is a UN truck with food. And what you can't see is that the people in that village, you can see some of the village in the background there, they've all run and they're currently fighting and pushing and shoving and yelling. And there are guards trying to bring control. They're fighting over food. And the photojournalist was taking pictures of the chaos and He heard a whimper, and he turned, and he saw this child. So in his own words, he decided to sit under a tree and take a picture. He saw the vulture, and he was actually waiting for the vulture to spread its wings. He thought that would be a better picture. But it never did, and so he snapped this one and won the Pulitzer Prize. The tragedy about this picture is that the one who took it just a short time later, um, took his own life. Because he couldn't reconcile the fact that there was so much pain in the world and no one seemed to care. And this picture speaks to me. Because in our world, there are all kinds of people dying like this every day. And yes, some of them are physically dying. There's still terrible starvation around the world. 
But where I live in St. Catharines, there's nobody who looks like this on the outside. But there's hundreds of thousands who look like this on the inside. They are dying a slow and painful death inside. They're empty, they're frustrated, they're lost. And they're crawling and they are struggling just to try to make sense of it all. And sometimes I wonder if we as the church are just so busy fighting over food. Oh, what theology is right? And what kind of worship is proper? And how long should a service be? And what time of the morning? And what time of the day? Does it really matter? And you say, well, of course it does. Yes, but not more than that child. I got thinking to myself, was there not somebody? Somebody who in, in their rush and their push to get fed themselves who didn't stop for a second and think, maybe I should pick up this child and bring them with me? Nobody? Not, not, a, not an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, a friend, a stranger? Wasn't it Jesus who said I was... Hungry and you didn't feed me? I was naked and you didn't clothe me? I was in prison and you didn't come to visit me? Was he talking about the, the physical reality? Maybe, but there's a deeper reality. The soul is at stake. The deepest part of people. The part that motivates them. Consumes them. Drives them further into their emptiness. And then I got thinking about the photographer. And I got thinking about how many times I'm tempted to sit down and take pictures of all the bad things in the world. We call it social media. And we rant and we rave and we point out fingers and we judge and we condemn. And we do it in the name of God. Like that somehow justifies it. The hardest part about this picture is that the only thing in the picture that cares about the child is the vulture. The vulture is just waiting for that child to pass. And the Bible says your enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And I don't know about you, but I am just sick and tired of him taking my friends. I don't know about you, but, but I'm sick and tired of, of having to walk with people through incredible pain just because this world is so broken. And so I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I'm just not content or satisfied with fighting over food. When people come and tell me, oh, the sound is too loud. Really? Fine. No sound. Would that do it? Would that work for you? Would that help you out? Would that prop you up, princess? Like, would that help you? Okay. I know I'm ranting now. I'm so, no, I'm not. (laughs) You know, and here's the other thing. (laughs) Since I'm on my rant, um, as leaders... You aren't called to only carry the vision and communicate the vision 
You're called to live the vision. Don't preach about evangelism if you don't have any unsafe friends. Don't preach about generosity if you are stingy. <laughs> Should I keep going? No, I won't. You get my point. And I know I'm, I'm being pretty hard tonight. But you know why I'm being hard? Because he matters. And my friends, and I could give you their names, they matter. And unless we as the church wake up and start doing whatever it takes to reach people again with the love of God, if we would just strip ourselves of what we think needs to happen in order for the church to grow, and if we would just press into what God is doing by being present, I am convinced revival would come. I see it every day. Not because I am great, but because God is great. And so Peter in one act of courage, brought supernatural change. So how's your soul? We're going to close with the response, and so I'm going to invite the worship team to come up at this time. And I don't want you to respond out of guilt or shame or motivation. I don't. But, but I do want to ask a couple of questions. And the first question is, why are you here? I hope it's partly to get a good education because you're going to get a great one here. And I hope it's partly to be inspired and equipped by others around you because that's going to happen here. But I hope more than all of that, it's that you will be empowered by God's Spirit to go into a world and love as he loves. And so we've talked up to this point about loving the Lord your God with all your heart. And so for some of you tonight, God needs to heal your heart. Um, your heart has been broken and shattered in a million pieces. And like I said, on day one, you can't express what you haven't experienced. And so tonight, you're going to come because you just need God to love on you again. You're having a hard time loving because you just don't even think God loves you or you can't love yourself the way he does. So some of you are going to come tonight because you're just going to say, God, I just need to heal this heart. I just want to give you my affection. I want to feel close to you again. I, maybe, maybe you felt it at one time, but and you thought you'd come to Bible school and you'd feel it every day and it hasn't happened that way and maybe actually even feel further. I know that. So today you're just going to come and in response to, to our first session, you're just going to say, God, I, I give you my heart. And then we said, we, we talked in, uh, this morning about how you need to love God with all your mind. Maybe some of you need to just re-engage your faith again to trust God. Maybe, maybe you're going through something and it, it seems impossible and, and God's asking you to do things and, and you're a little bit fearful, you're a little bit afraid, but tonight you, you feel like you need to get out of the boat, you need to do something, take a step. There's a dream or a vision in your life and you've been hesitant, you've been holding back, and tonight you're saying, no, God, I'm in again. I'm going to step out of the boat, out of my comfort. I'm going to focus on you trust you with the process but maybe 
there's a group of us tonight who need to just be broken for the lost again. And tonight, I actually believe that some of you are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But not because you think you need it to fit in or because you feel like it's the next step in your spiritual journey. But because you're going to be so broken for the lost, the Spirit's going to fall on you in such a powerful way. You're going to begin to cry out and words and groans and utterances that you've never experienced and expressed before are just going to come out. Because God's going to be stirring inside of you, speaking to your soul about the greatest mission, why we are here. Listen, if you don't go, who is? If you don't tell them, who will? How beautiful, the Bible says, are the feet of those who bring good news. So tonight, I'm going to invite you, without any coercion, manipulation, I, I hope you don't feel that, but just to respond to God. I'm going to invite you to come and find a space at the front because there's nothing mysterious or supernatural about this space of carpet. <laughs> it's just carpet like where you're sitting. But there is something supernatural about acting and courage and stepping out and actually physically manifesting something you want to happen in the Spirit. Say, God, I am stepping out tonight. And I'm just asking that you'd fill me with your love tonight. I'm asking that you'd help me to have the courage to do the things I know I should do. And I just want to be broken for the lost. Would you give me a vision? And help me to live in that vision. Why? Because Cornelius is waiting for you. Cornelius is praying every day, God, please send someone who can help me. Cornelius is trying to do all the right things. He's a good person. But he just needs someone to come and say, there's more for you, Cornelius. Cornelius needs someone who's going to do whatever it takes, break convention, figure out a new way to do it, violate the law. Not legally, please. But just whatever it takes, God, please. When I stood, I think it was about here one night, on a spiritual emphasis day experience, I said, God, I was so moved by that night, by the call and the commission of God. I said, God, if you could just help me love 10 people into the kingdom, just 10, I, I'd be so grateful. God is a multiplier. He took those loaves and fishes and he multiplied them. He took a little prayer and he began to stir something deep inside of me. And he led me to a place today where every day I get to meet people who've never been in church, never heard about Jesus. People who ask me to come to me after an Easter experience and say, hey, I just got it. The Jesus of Christmas and the Jesus of Easter, they're the same guy, right? Yes, they are. People who come and say, you sing about the Lamb of God. I have no idea. Who's the Lamb? What is this Lamb? you got to tell me. You say, I loved your sermon, but you said, you know, when Moses did this, and I don't know, can you tell me? When a man who was 
a violent neighbor of ours and complained every Sunday, called us up, emailed us because we were being too loud and we were causing ruckus. God worked on his granddaughter, got her saved. <laughs> so her da- his daughter came to our church and one day his daughter couldn't come and so she said, Dad, you got to take your little granddaughter to church. And so Peter, Peter who hated us, came to church, walked in that parking lot and one of our parking attendants hugged him and he said for the first time he started crying in the parking lot for the first time I felt loved he gave his heart to Christ and a few months later found he had cancer and about a year after that he passed away and I got to be there at his bedside with his family and say Peter Thanks for coming into my life. Thanks for showing me what God's grace really looks like. And you're with Him. And I can't wait to see you again. Oh, I could go on all night about stories, but when you were driven by a passion for the lost, when you're willing to do whatever it takes, miracles happen. That's where God is. You don't feel God? Go where He is, to the lost and the broken and the hurting. You want to see revival? Then go where God is moving, with the lost and the broken and the hurting. You want to grow in discipleship? Then hang out with people who are going to ask you really hard questions, and you're going to have to figure out the answer on yourself, by yourself. So God wants to fill you with His Spirit tonight so you can fulfill his mission. So let's stand all over this place. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do anything else. I'm just gonna invite you to come. Just start coming. I mean, if, if that's you, just start making your way to the front right now. Whatever that is, just just begin to cry out. Before we sing a song or before anything else, so just begin to cry out. Just say, God, I, I, w- I want, I want you. I want to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. God, I want you. I need you. Begin begin to open up your heart and let him flood in. Let the spirit of the living God fall in this place. Let the Holy Spirit fall in this place and just, you open up your heart. Open up your heart and he'll fill it. Begin to open up your mouth and Begin to just speak the deepest parts of you, the, the parts of your soul. The, maybe cry out for that lost family member, that lost friend. Maybe, maybe begin to, to speak life into that dream, that vision that God gave you. This is just you. Don't worry about what's happening around you. This is just you and God. Just press in, press in. Ask Him, give me a vision, give me a dream, give me, give me what you have for me. Just begin to press in. You, maybe for some of you, this is the first time you've ever used your voice. Begin to use it. Begin to use it. Don't worry about what's happening around you. Just press into God. Holy Spirit, come into this place. In this moment, in this, in this moment right now, you're here. Bring healing. Bring healing. Hope. Restore the broken parts of our life.
Jesus, I just want to be motivated by what motivates you. I just want to love you with all my heart, all my affection, because you've loved me. And help me to have faith to believe when I'm afraid and I doubt. Break my heart for the lost. Touch my soul. Cry out to him, cry out to him. Move us, God, by the things that move you. God, I pray for our nation filled with Cornelius's people who are lost, looking for you and don't know where to find you. God, send us to them. Send us to them. Show us. Show us how we can reach this generation, this world, this nation with your love. Show us again, God. Our world is desperate and lost without you. Our nation is lost without you, God. If you could use me, I'm yours. I'm all yours. I recommit myself. I surrender myself. Begin to just fill this place with dreams and visions. Dreams and visions. Confirm dreams and visions. Give courage for dreams and visions. Give wisdom to dreams and visions. Show us faces and names, peoples and places where we can demonstrate your love. God, we need you, God. We need you. Begin to speak the names of people in your life who need him. Begin to just plead on their behalf, God. Maybe, maybe it's a name. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a people group that you know God has called you to. Maybe, maybe it's a location. People in that begin to cry out. Maybe cry out for your city. Cry out for your, for your family. Cry out that God would begin to be merciful. Pour out His Spirit in those areas. And, and to use you to bring hope and life to those places that are dead. Begin to just cry out, God.
I pray. Revive us. Now begin to just proclaim things. Proclaim truth. (laughs) Proclaim the, the promises of God. Proclaim who God is what he's going to do. Proclaim it. Proclaim victory and freedom. called right now you weren't sure but you have an assurance right now you're being called and you're getting clarity around exactly what that means you're you're being commissioned the spirit of god is just planting things inside of you stirring things inside of you you weren't sure why you're here but there's some clarity coming around that others of you god is giving you supernatural faith to believe for the salvation of someone you love you care about he's maybe you've given up you thought no but God is beginning to stir something inside of you to believe, to believe. Some of you, God's beginning to heal that part of your life that you held secret, hidden, broken. Hadn't given it to him yet, but tonight you've given it to him. He's got your heart. He's beginning the process of putting it back together. Spirit of the living God, fall in this place. Spirit of the living God, fall in this place. We're just open to what you want to say to us. We're open to what you want to do in us. We're open to how you want to change us and transform our thinking, our heart, our mind. Spirit of living God, fall. Fall in this place. We're here, expectant, listening, asking.
just have a quick testimony to share of something that God's been doing in my life, and I think it'll be a big encouragement to you guys. Um, I'm like in the counseling program and so I know lots about healing and I know that God loves to heal people but I also know that people can be really 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 broken and I know that people can go their entire lives with a smile on their face and have fun friends but on the deepest part of who they are they can still be super broken from different things they experience like being a kid or like being a teenager just in life the world is broken and um and I've experienced that too but um I've also experienced um what God does and a couple of years back, the reason I came to Summit is because God completely transformed me, completely made me an entirely new person, completely healed me, and made me completely whole. And that wasn't even something that I believed was possible, but he still did that. And even just before chapel tonight, um, I was praying, I was going to the prayer, and I was bringing something to God that I had been bringing for like probably the last year now. I've been bringing it to him, and I was like, oh, this is it's just a struggle. Like, it's okay. Like, I'm working through it, but I don't know about it. And he, he literally healed me of it completely, like an hour ago. <laughs> and so what he did, what he, I feel like he really just set me free to love. I had needs, and I was like, oh, like, how, how, how am I going to fix this? Like, da, 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 da. But he just showed me that he literally, he literally meets every single need you could ever even imagine you have. You don't, that's all in him. You can be completely satisfied and healed because of who he is. And I think that sometimes we're just afraid to believe that because um, we don't want to have our hope like crushed. It's like it's too much to believe because we know how much the brokenness is and we can, we can want to stay there because it's familiar and it can seem like a risk to like take that step because wholeness is something that's so unfamiliar to us maybe. But what kind of a risk is that to just walk into like complete wholeness and restoration? Like that's literally something that God has. And I think he has that tonight for some of us. I think some of us like might know, like, man, I, I am really broken inside. And I could go to a counselor or a therapist for years and like still never deal with this. And that's true. Um, but God is a counselor. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. He points at the lies that we've been believing about ourselves. And he brings truth. And truth sets us free. And not just like a little bit free. Like completely free like we're free to love we're free to see the people around us and to love them and to share this and just to share the good news of who god is that he saves us and he keeps us safe and sound and brings us a new life um out of the brokenness and the chaos he brings us a new life that just has so much value in him and so i just wanted to encourage um to encourage us not to be afraid to believe because there's nothing that is impossible for him <laughs> that's yeah. So I've, I've learned that when God speaks, we need to respond. So here's, here's what we're going to do. If you're here and you came because you need healing, it could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be spiritual, whatever you need. I, I want you just, we're going to sing a song, Spirit of the Living God, Paul, and we're going to actually pray that over you. And so if you're here, and you came and you need healing in some way in your life. Okay, I want you just to raise your hand. If you need healing in any way, just, it's okay. Um, uh, and then I want you to look around to those who have their hand raised. Okay, there's some sitting down, so make sure you don't step on them, but go close to them. Some in the aisles. Yep, some sitting in the seats. So what I want us to do is we're going to just surround people who need healing. Let's, let's just lay hands. The Bible says lay hands on one another. And so we're going to do that. So find somebody around you who's got their hand raised. And we're just going to, hey, 
Is there enough faith in this place to believe that God can heal those who need prayer? I think there is, okay. So we're going to sing this song and we're going to just pray for healing. Healing as the Spirit of God comes into this place. Spirit of the living God. Begin to just pray. Pray in the Spirit. Begin to believe. Speak. 